This program can help eliminate cervical cancer in four Appalachian regions in the United States. This is the James Cancer Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg. Today our guest is Electra Paskett. She's the Director of the Division of Cancer Prevention and Control here at the James and Associate Director for Population Sciences. Electra is a great champion. She's a national leader in providing life-saving services to underserved and at-risk populations here in Ohio and beyond. She and her team, they focus on cancer prevention through vaccinations and smoking cessation programs, early screenings such as mammograms and the pap tests to detect cervical cancer, and they work to give these underserved populations better access to diagnostic and treatment services. Today, we're going to talk about a new and a a really exciting major health initiative that will help prevent cervical cancer in the Appalachian regions of Ohio, Kentucky, Virginia, and West Virginia. It's a lot of territory. Electra and the James will work with and lead 10 10 health systems in these states, and the program is funded by an $11 million grant from the National Cancer Institute. Welcome back to the podcast, Electra. Thanks, Steve. So let's start with a little background. Why is this initiative so important important for women in Appalachia? So when I arrived at the James in uh, 2003, the National Cancer Institute uh, produced a map of death rates from cervical cancer among white women in the United States. And one of the areas that had the highest occurrence of, of death from cervical cancer in white women was in the Ohio Appalachian area, as well as the neighboring states, West Virginia and Kentucky. The rates were high, high similar to the rates um, on the border between Texas and Mexico. So this was identified as one of the hot spots in the United States. At the same time, the National Cancer Institute issued a call for proposals to form what are called Centers for Population Health and Health Disparities. And um, I joined with uh, Dr. Mary Ellen Wewers from the College of Public Health and uh, several other investigators here. And we successfully submitted and got funded a proposal to become a Center for Population Health and Health Disparities. And we focused on the question, why are the rates for cervical cancer so high in Appalachia, Ohio? And we focused on three areas that at that time were known to be contributors contributors to cervical cancer. So first was tobacco smoking. Second was a lack of uh, appropriate uh, cervical cancer screening. So pap test at that time. And the third was to sort of identify and quantify the role of HPV, human papillomavirus, in the population. And uh, remember, this is before the approval of the HPV vaccine. So we submitted the grant in September of 2002, and we were funded in, well, you heard we were funded in May of 2003, and we began on our three projects. And we uh, recruited women from uh, up to 18 clinics in, at that time, 28 counties in Ohio were Appalachian. And we uh, tested two interventions. One was to get women who smoked to stop smoking. That was led by Dr. Wewers. The second was to get women who needed a pap test to get a pap test. And I led that one. And then Dr. McRuffin from the University of Michigan was our uh, co- collaborator. And he led the third study, which 
We went to those 18 clinics and we got women as they were coming in to get a routine pap test and we asked them if they'd like to participate. We received informed consent from them and then we got an extra pap test at the same time the doctor was doing the regular pap test. We did a, a test a swab for HPV typing and we drew some blood and then we had them answer some questions. So the long and the short of it for that study, which was our first five years, was that we uh, successfully were able to get women to stop smoking. Um, unfortunately, by 12 months, uh, we had lost some of that cessation. But uh, they went back they to went smoking. They went back to smoking. Okay. Uh, we were able to get women who needed a pap test to get a pap test. And Dr. Ruffin demonstrated for the first time that the women uh, in the study who were from Appalachia had uh, higher rates of HPV positivity and specifically high-risk HPV, meaning the type that cause cancer. And and just so people know, HPV causes several types of cancer. It causes Cer- six different types of cancer. That is correct. And one of them, the ones probably most known for is cervical cancer. So uh, we did a few pilot studies. We looked at um, whether women uh, knew about the, the HP vaccine because by then it was coming out. So it came out in 2006. It was approved. Um, whether they knew about it, if they would give it to their daughters, if they would take it themselves, if they were um, uh, you know, under age 26. And um, we also looked at the culture of Appalachia, looked at women's trust in the healthcare system, um, Dr. Chris Weghorst from the College of Public Health did some pilot studies looking at the prevalence of um, a certain uh, allele that was uh, thought to be uh, in, um, indicative or punitive in cancer. What's uh, an allele? It's a, a, a variation of a, of a gene. Oh, okay. So genetic mutation? Genetic mutation. Um, uh, Dr. Ron Glazer, he looked at um, the presence of reactivation. Of, let me let me get through this first, and I'll explain okay. it. Reactivation of latent EBV virus. So, what this means is that we all are exposed at some time to EBV, Epstein Barr virus, and our immune system, when it functions very well, it keeps it in check. But if we're stressed by a variety of things. And in Appalachia, we were looking at stressors, for example, low socioeconomic uh, areas that they live in can cause stress. Um, And so we were looking at the reactivation of EBV to sort of measure how well people's immune system functioned. So we looked at a lot of that, and um, we, we got some ideas for where we needed to go next. And um, we were able to resubmit and we got refunded for another five years on our Center for Population Health and Health Disparities. And this time we had four projects. So Dr. Weghorst, he was interested in looking at this allele, this genetic mutation, um, in women who had cervical cancer versus those who didn't. So that was one project. The second project was, again, led by Dr. Wewers, and she wanted to follow up from some of the findings in her first study, where she, um, in a, you know, in addition to the women who didn't stay quit, Dr. Weavers with smoking, with smoking, Dr. Weavers found that women who continued to smoke had family members who smoked. smoked yes. So she was very interested in the role of social support in 
cessation, smoking cessation. Yeah, so if that's, everyone around you smoking, right. that makes it harder so to stop. So her study looked at enrolled women and then asked them about their social support, I mean their their social network structure, and then um, identified at least three people in the social network and then asked them about their smoking status. So she could see if there were correlates between smoking status. And then um, Dr. Ruffin uh, was extremely interested in this um, immune system question. Um, and if there was some... Um, the Epstein-Barr, the Epstein-Barr under stress. virus reactivation under stress. And using that as a marker of reactivation um, of, uh, of the latent EBV as a marker for stress, could that interfere with the body's ability to mount an immune response to HPV if they were given the HPV vaccine? Very interesting question. And then the fourth project I led, which, uh, again, as I said, at that time, the HPV vaccine was approved for girls. So we had found... Some oh, it was approved for just girls first? First, yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. And so, uh, as I said, some of our pilot studies, we, wanted, we had asked women about their um, opinions of giving it to their daughters. And so this study actually tested a multi-level intervention, which I'll explain in just a minute, um, to see if it could increase the uptake of HPV vaccine in this population. Because I'm guessing when something new like this comes out, there's going to be reluctance. There was, are, there was yeah. a lot of reluctance all over the and United cause, States. Cause it involves yes. sex. It involves vaccination. That's the myth, yeah. and then we don't need to right. propagate that myth. We can but correct that myth in a minute. Think, yeah. That's what people think, That's what people think, yes. So um, so we we the levels we focused on were the parent, the provider's, and then the healthcare system. So like the like the system we put up brochures and handed out pamphlets and the the providers we taught them about HPV HPV vaccine, how to speak to parents about giving the vaccine to the daughter. And then for the parents, we um along with Dr. Katz, we developed a um a DVD that we mailed to parents and it told the story of a family that looked like them from Appalachia, whose daughter had just been diagnosed with cervical cancer, and the daughter had finished her treatment and said, I don't want my sister to go through this. Hey, I heard there's a vaccine. And the mother said, oh, I don't want that to give her a green light to have sex. And the daughter said, no, that's not what it's about. Why don't you go talk to the nurse at the clinic? So that tells the whole story. They go into the clinic, and the nurse explains, no, it's not related to, to a green light to have sex. It's to protect, you know, your daughter because, um, you know, up to 80% of sexually active adults, men and women, will be infected with HPV at least one time in their life. It's just the issue of who keep, who, um, in, in who does the vax, the virus not go away? Because we, you know, if our Whose immune system. can flush it out. Right. If our immune system's good, it will kick yeah. the virus out. Which, again, goes back to project three where. You know, we were interested in in seeing the immune system in women in Appalachia. If it was so revved up because they were so stressed that it couldn't mount an immune response, that's a problem. So those were the four studies that we did. And so um, the first study, Dr. Uh, Weghorst found some very interesting findings which we think is an explanation for why even non-smokers get cervical cancer, a, 
a genetic um, association. Dr. Weaver's uh, found um, association, yes, between, you know, your social network and smoking status. And then, uh, fortunately, Dr. Ruffin uh, found that even though titer levels varied uh, a little bit based on your perceived stress and your actual, um, the stress that your body was measuring, you could still mount an immune response to the vaccine. So if you have the vaccination, even if your stress level peaks, spikes at certain times, the vaccination still works. Yes. So that was a good finding. That was a really good finding. And then we found that our multilevel intervention increased um, the uptake of the HPV vaccine, although it was very low, extremely low. So that was good news, as my statistician said, um, and bad news, as my statistician <laughs> said when he called. So, um, so, so anyway, that, that, that was very, very, very um, assuring that, um, you know, we understood sort of what the issues are. And, and the most important thing from the study is that um, we were able actually to capture a lot of the important variables that contribute to cervical cancer disparities in Appalachia, Ohio. Um, and they range um, from multiple levels, for example, at the community level, all the way down to the biology. So the biology is the g- genetic variation, right, and the immune system. Individual behaviors are PAPs or screening or tobacco use. But we, ca- we encountered things like discrimination, perceived discrimination, and um, interaction with the medical system. So we asked women who didn't get their daughter vaccinated, why didn't you get your daughter vaccinated? We asked very nicely, why didn't <laughs> okay. you get your daughter vaccinated? And they said, well, my doctor said she wasn't old enough. And, you know, all the girls in the study were old enough to get the vaccine. So so the doctor, the healthcare system... They need to be educated. ...plays a huge role in this. Exactly right. They need to be educated. So the, the healthcare providers play a huge role in this. So we, um, you know, we made a, a model, a multi-level model now that kind of lists all of these factors that we've um, identified that address disparities. And um, I, <laughs> I decided that we need, to, we need to figure out how to have a bigger impact. We have to have a bigger impact in, um, in Appalachia, that doing these little studies is really not going to cut it. And that gave us the impetus to go forward for this new grant. Uh, this is a perfect time to take a break because you've set the foundation of all the preliminary data, your findings, and how you can do so much more. And so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to hear about the next step and this new program. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At The James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back with Electra Peskett, and we're talking about a new um, $11 million program uh, that the James has received from the National Cancer Institute. So, Electra, before the break, you gave us all the background on the need for this, 
and why it's so important and all the issues that are going on in Appalachia and how this is going to help. So now you've gotten to the point where you've gotten an 11 million grant from the NCI, which I'm imagining that's pretty huge thing. So put sort of put that into perspective and then explain the program and what you'll do to, to help women down there. Right. So um, as we were going to the break, I was telling you that we decided that we needed to do something on a broader scale so that we could impact more people quickly. So we got this idea to put together what's called a program project. And a program project is like my department chair likes to say, sort of the gold cup of grants. It is sort of the coveted and the hardest type of grant to get. And we decided to focus our program project on a really new area that is starting to blossom called implementation science. Implementation science is about taking things interventions that you know work because they've been tested in other studies like that and teaching in this case the clinic staff the local clinic the staff the local okay. clinic staff how to change the way that they deliver care the way they interact with patients to improve the way they deliver care so that they can assure that their patients in our case get tobacco cessation, HPV vaccination, and cervical cancer screening. When you think about some of these clinics that we're going to be in, and we are going to be in four Appalachian regions, as you mentioned earlier, Ohio, West Virginia, Kentucky, and Virginia in the Appalachian areas. We will be working with 10 health systems, up to 30, 32 individual health centers or clinics. And um, we, we will be going in and, and talking, first of all, that's what we're spending our first year on, is we're going to be talking to these folks and understanding what it's like to deliver care. What, first of all, what are your barriers and facilitators? What, you know, helps you be able to deliver care? What are the pressures you have in, in your health clinic? We'll be getting an understanding of the clinics. How many patients do you see? In what age group? Do you have an electronic health record? What is it? Are you able to to do reports on these? Um, how many staff? And and things like that. And um, and then we will. If they're missing some of these things, will this grant help you help them to get these these things? Or yes. What is a little more complicated with this big program project is we're going to be looking at three behaviors and we're going to be billing it to the clinic staff as a risk reduction program, cancer risk reduction program that includes tobacco cessation, HPV vaccination, and cervical screening. So, for example, we will teach the providers, you have a woman has come in for a cold. You also notice through, you know, you've adopted the EHR intervention and it comes up that she needs um, cervical cancer screening. But she also smokes and she's got children who need the HPV vaccine. So how are you going to approach 
the whole family. And perhaps her husband smokes. And, you know, depending on the age of the husband, he might be able to get a vaccine too. And she might be able to get the vaccine. So how do you approach this whole family about cancer risk reduction? Right, you can help everyone in the family. Exactly right. Male and female. And that's what we're going to eventually get to. But it's going to be a process because we have to train the clinic staff to get to that point. So the first year we're, we're going to be a, we're going to stagger as we get the clinic. So we'll do half one year and half the next year. How many clinics are you talking about well, in, in four states? In four states. So it could be up to 32 clinics in 10 health systems. But um, so this first year is the formative work. We're building everything, getting all the, the baseline information. And then the second year, we'll start implementing in half the clinics. And then the third year, we'll implement in the other half. And when we implement in the other half, the first half, they'll sort of be on their own. And we'll be, we'll be able to see how they sustain what we taught them to do. And then year four and five, they, everybody will kind of be in the sustaining mode. So 32 clinics in four states, we're talking thousands and thousands of women. Exactly right. Do you have a sense of the, the population? I can't tell you off the top of my head because we're it's, still firming up all the centers. Um, but it's it's tens of thousands right. of women who Which, don't ha- either don't have access or don't have the education and information they need for these three important things. Right. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, the number one reason, not only these women in Appalachia, but all of us. The number one reason we lose weight, we get our mammograms, we get our colon screening, we get a cervical cancer screening test, we stop smoking, is because the doctor told us to. The number one reason. So we're going to teach the doctors how to tell patients to do that. And we're going to teach them how to use, for example, electronic health records. And how this can be an entire health system initiative. So that it starts with the person at the front desk who, you know, can ask or prompt them. It, you, it goes with the medical assistant, goes with the person who calls to remind you about your appointment. Everybody's involved in this. It, it become, they own the whole thing. It's integrated. Everyone's integrated, right. exactly right. I just want to touch on the HPV vaccination part of it before because you, you've talked to me before and I'm now so aware of it and I tell all everyone I know with young children, do you know about the HPV vaccination? We're seeing these commercials on TV that are pretty effective. But you, you told me something before that if everyone got everyone of the appropriate age got this vaccination, it would be like the polio vaccination. We could eliminate cervical cancer once and for all. That is, is correct. And that that's just amazing (laughs) that is correct and actually the world health organization uh has put out a call declaring that they want to eliminate cervical cancer um all of the national cancer institute uh designated cancer centers put out a call saying they joined the who all of the cancer organizations american cancer society american society of clinical oncology american society of preventive oncology we, we put a joint statement out all saying that we want to eliminate cervical cancer and the way to do that is to get what we call herd immunity, 80% vaccination rate. I mean, that's why we don't see polio anymore. And um, and we saw what we're seeing what happens with measles. With when measles. You when, stop, you, when you stop. You're not vigilant. Exactly right. If, if people are wondering, you know, about vaccines, because, uh, you know, I hear about this all the time. Um, the, the childhood vaccinations, well, all vaccinations are closely monitored by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. 
in Atlanta. And there have been tens of millions of doses of the HPV vaccine. I just read an article of like 60 million do- you know, doses of the HPV vaccine. And the adverse effects are no greater, no greater than any of the other childhood immunizations. And Australia, which has over 80% uptake, first they saw declines in um, HPV infection rates. Then they saw declines in um, uh, general warts, which are caused by some strains of HPV. Then they started seeing decreases in precursors of cervical cancer. And now they're starting to see decreases in actually cervical intraepithelial neoplasia, which is the pre, pre you know the precursor just to becoming invasive cervical cancer. And uh, there's some protection that is uh, spreading also to um, non-vaccinated w- women. Um, because the women who get vaccinated have sex with men who then have sex with women who are not vaccinated. vaccinated. Oh, that's why the 80% That's why the 80% herd immunity is so important. But at least you want it at least at least closer to 100. That's right. So, you know, can you imagine at least one cancer that we could eliminate in this world? When we talk about a cancer-free world, that's what we're thinking about. And, um, I don't know if you know this. My my mother was a cervical cancer survivor. That was her first cancer that she got in the '60s, and my mother was not a promiscuous woman, uh, which you know a lot of people think that oh, the women who get cervical cancer are promiscuous. That is far from the truth. Right, that's that is the misconception not. That is the misconception. That prevents people. From that is correct. Yeah. That is correct. So, and the other thing I hear is that, um, well, there's only few cervical cancer cases diagnosed in the United States each year. Well, that's kind of like the tip of the iceberg. You don't know what precludes all these cervical cancer cases, which are cervical abnormalities. And there's, there's hundreds of thousands of them diagnosed each year. And the treatment for those sometimes causes pain, causes expense, can um, cause women to become infertile. Or have problems conceiving or even holding a child. And then, you know, there's genital warts. There's also some congenital illnesses that can be passed to a baby if a woman has an active HPV infection when she gives vaginal birth. So there, there's a lot of things that HPV causes, not just cervical cancer. And the other types of cancer. And the other types of cancer, yeah. which, you know, the oral cancer is really um, an epidemic we, yeah, we epidemiologists call that uh, really a growing epidemic, and it, it happens mostly to white, middle-aged, high-income, middle-income men. And it's most noticed by a, a nodule in the, the throat or the tonsils, back of the tongue. Um, it's very painful, very painful cancer. Um, it can be treated, but extremely painful. And we could get rid of all of that. And we ha- yes, we have the means. We have a vaccination to eliminate all this pain and suffering and death. Right. And, and just to remind people, tell us the ages that boys and girls should get their HPV vaccinations. This is so very important. No, This is very important. There's just been some changes. So okay. this, I'm glad you asked this question. So the, the, we know that um, um, the HPV vaccine can given, be given to children as early age, as age nine. And we're talking boys and girls. And if they get it before age 15, they only need two shots. Um, six months apart, they get the two shots. Um, and, then, and then 
we call it catch up uh, after, you know, age, they call it catch up after age 13, because the recommendation is that when the children are getting their um, 11 and 12 year old shots, when they're getting their meningococcal and their Tdap shots, then they they could get their um, their HPV vaccine, and that is why the CDC wanted to make it easy, and so that's why they their recommendation is eleven twelve year old. So if they haven't gotten it by age thirteen, they the CDC calls it catch up, but you can get catch up um, up to age they call it um, twenty six, and is that um, the new thing? And so fifteen to twenty six, you need three shots. Okay. The new thing, two new things, very exciting. So it used to be only up to 21 for boys. Now they made it equal, boys 26. So um, still get the shot up to age 26, boys and girls. But the brand new thing, if you remember, several months ago, the FDA approved um, the HPV vaccine up to age 45. Oh. So we were waiting, we were waiting, we were waiting for the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices to release their guidelines for that. It just came out. Hot stuff, hot off the press. They did two things. First of all, they equalized up to 26 now for boys, boys and, girls. and girls. Okay. The second thing was 26 to 45 that um, bo- men and women can get the vaccine uh, as long as they have a discussion with their provider. They call it shared decision-making. So we do shared decision-making already for prostate cancer screening, prostate cancer treatment. If you're going to have a a mastectomy with or without reconstruction, it's all shared decision-making, where you have a discussion about what this means to get the the vaccine up to age um, 45 now. So it's not approved for vaccination over age 45, but it's a brand-new recommendation, and um, it will be going into effect very, very, very shortly. It's very exciting, extremely yeah. exciting. Do, do you think they're working on, could there be a day when it, there is no age limit, anyone can get it? Well. Or if you hit a certain age, Let me tell age, you, so people, a, sorry, I didn't mean to sorry. Oh, that's so, okay. So people ask, why, why children? Why do we vaccinate children? And the, the reason is because they found that that's the best time for the immune system. So when you're giving, you know, the vaccination, it produces just a little uh, response in your body, and your body makes antibodies. See, I just learned this recently, and a vaccination is actually injecting a little bit of a little bit. the virus into just a tiny bit into your immune system, so it recognizes it, takes care of it, and then later, if it would ever come back, it knows it can fight what it. to do. Right. Yeah. So. I kind of think of your immune system as an army with soldiers. So you're sort of uh, giving that little bit of the virus so that the soldiers kind of know what, to, what it looks, what the enemy looks like. It's training. It's training. <laughs> exactly games. right. War <laughs> games. And so then when it comes back, you know, again, it, no, it recognizes it right away and it fights it off. And, um, and, uh, and so they, if you're older, your immune system doesn't, doesn't work, work as yeah. well. Okay. And also, um, you know, the way that you get infected with HPV is through sexual relations. And so as you get older, you're more likely to have started sex, having sex, and therefore you could already have the infection. So th- there's, a, you know, a lot of, a lot of issues. Um, we have a wonderful pediatrician at Children's who promotes giving the vaccine, you know, at, at age nine, and she's had wonderful uptake from parents. So there's really no reason that the, the child could not get the vaccine at age nine if parents would like the child to get at, at age nine. 
But, you know, it's really, really, I scratch my head so many times because I've heard and heard and heard, oh, can we have a vaccine against cancer? Can we have a breast cancer vaccine? Can we, you know, and um, I think if there was a breast cancer vaccine, people would be lined up around the James, you know, for for miles wanting this vaccine. And um, we have a vaccine. We have a vaccine for six types of cancer. And um, the uptake in the United States is barely at 50% of those who are eligible. You know, I'm a breast cancer survivor, and um, if somebody said, um, would you like a vaccine to prevent cancer, I would say, sign me up, you know, yeah. which arm you want. Because um, hearing those words, you have cancer, is not a fun thing. And if we could do something to protect our children from having to hear that word, uh, that would be so good. I'll, you know, my three boys have all been vaccinated um, and I hope as a parent that that's something that I, I can do. And, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want to minimize or negate anybody who has had an adverse reaction to a vaccine. That, you know, that's not, not what I'm saying, not where I'm coming from. But when we look from a population perspective, this is the health of a population. And um, we, we need to be taking care of our children and looking out for the health of, of our children. And you're doing that in Appalachia in four states for thousands of women. And it's not just the women who are going to be impacted, their families, their children, everyone. So it's correct. So this is an amazing program. And, and, and thank you for sharing this. And perhaps in a year or two, you can come back and, and tell us about this. And I, and I also know you probably have some other big population science program projects underway or or you're applying for so maybe we can talk about them too soon because just just as everyone knows Electra and her her team of population scientists are world-class and have one of the biggest and best programs and have just impacted and helped so many people in Ohio beyond so thank you for all you do thank you this podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.